0: Hey guys, welcome back to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line, brought to you by me, Dylan Hartley. After a rest week, the guys are preparing hard for their game against France this weekend, but I managed to grab two of them for a chat just before the intensity ramps up. This week, it's a pair of players that are making their mark on and off the field, Locke, Maro Otoje, and recently capped prop, Beno Urbano. How are you feeling about the tournament so far, Mas? What, what's going on? How are you feeling? Obviously, results haven't gone our way so
1: far. So, you know, there's, you know, there's lots of work for us to do in that department. And, you know, there's a lot of work still to come with the two big games coming up. But in terms of being in the group, you know, I've thoroughly enjoyed being part of this England team. Results haven't gone our way, but it still feels as if this team is going places. You know, I think you know you you are involved probably the last time we had a bit of a tough period like this in 2018 and i think we used that as a period to propel us to go to the next level and i think that's what this period is going to be i think obviously it's been a bit sticky so far but i genuinely believe this team is still going in the right direction
0: yeah it's funny with uh, people like oh yeah you you were you were so you know 2016 2017 and I, I never mentioned twenty eighteen in my c v but I agree with you that like that campaign led to um it was almost like a springboard for your guy's success in, in twenty nineteen What about getting home Benno good good to mentally refresh Did you go back and play? yeah, I went back and played how How was that in terms of change of scenery?
2: yeah, it was actually fine it was actually like quite nice um it sort of gave him you know when you have these weeks off, your weeks sometimes lose a little bit of structure um to go back and play, I had like a nice structure and I could just follow and get my training in and go and play with the boys so I kind of liked it it was actually pretty decent for me Eddie gave me the choice and was like you can go and
0: play if you want to the choice do you want to play it's like a rhetorical question that yeah. way <laughs> we talked about this with Mako and Mala that, that same question that comes of extra fitness after a game if you've only played like 20-30 minutes like do you want to do a bit it's like there's only one answer no, was <laughs> saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. what are you going to say no how was it going back you know like you, you could usually Easily use the excuse of you've obviously been in camp and you gotta go back to the club and your routine's a little bit out, you gotta pick up new line out calls, you've got to fit back into a different system, a different structure, a different way of playing. How was it or was it easy to just go back and play? It wasn't easy as such, like because you you you
2: would definitely notice like when you have to go back from like, I never got sent home, mate. <laughs> Well, at the end of the tournament, after you'd won the tournament, right? You had to go oh, back. Yeah, you know what yeah, it's yeah, like, right? It. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah yeah. After, after, yeah, yeah. after all the awards, you have to go back
0: to no Franklin's awards, Gardens. To Benno, Benno, no awards, no awards. <laughs> <Yeah>. Benno, no. <laughs> no, I can relate in terms of um, finishing a tournament, going back and um, trying to change the way or adapt to how your club plays. It
2: was actually all right, like, I kind of, like, find motivation in the fact that it's supposed to be quite awkward and quite difficult and, like, find the motivation to, like, alleviate that in a sense. So I enjoyed it. Like, it was sort of something different that I hadn't done in, like, two, three months now. So it was actually quite nice. And, and I went back. That was, like, the first time I'd gone back and played for Bath after I'd played for England. So it was actually, like, yeah, I, I kind of liked it. Good. You go well? I thought I went all right. I went, I, yeah, I thought I went all right.
0: Uh, Maz, what about you? Just, like, min- mentally... Because this tournament's a a long tournament, eh? My experience is it's like it's almost like three months the tournament with your fellow weeks in and the the pre-training the week beforehand. Is it good to be able to get home? I thought it was good. I thought it was it was nice to
1: be able to mentally refresh a little bit, Um, and probably even more so at the moment than usual Six Nations campaigns because of the nature of the bubble. Um, Like normally, you know. Throughout the week, you can find times to go out into Twickenham for a coffee or have dinner out one night, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But given you know the reality of where we are with with COVID, all that stuff is is not is not feasible. So we're much more intensely in a bubble, and just having that extra bit of time at home was I think has given a lot of people myself included that time to just be a bit more um mentally refresh going into you know these next two weeks.
0: Nice without um prying too much what's at home for you?
1: Yeah so I live with my brother uh, my brother lives with me um and I also have one of my teammates housemates and friends uh Rosamy who who lives with me as well so the three of us it's a nice nice little spot got, got a little garden got a little fishes to keep me company I've gone into my fish um, in my old
0: age are we talking like outdoor pond fish or indoor aquarium like outdoor fish what what sort of fish if you're into your fish tell me about uh, so fish. I've
1: got sturgeon I've got koi, koi fish I have a butterfly koi fish I have a gold ghost koi fish a couple blue offs. a couple goldfish a couple of Shabunkans Shabunk. <laughs> Shabunkans
0: Uh, what else have I got yeah so I've got, I've got a, a fair few Benno it sounds like he's got too much money if you've got a pond in your back garden it, that's different Koi <laughs> <laughs> eh? who, who would have known um, let, let's move on from what you guys have been up to I'll, I want to talk to you Benno. Um, obviously for you this is all kinds of new obviously coming into camp how have you found that sort of extra level of being an England player My sort of
2: transition to camp has been like quite like gradual. Because obviously the first time I was in was like, what, 2018? And then it's been like, from then it was like real tough back then. And then I'd say it got a little bit easy at the end of 2018. And then obviously I got hurt. And I came in in 2019, just before Japan. And that was tough for me again. And then now, I think I did a lot between that period and now. And it's tough, but like, it's a challenge. It's not like tough that you can't do it. It's tough and you can do it and you can do it better and better and just like keep working it. So it's it's been like enjoyable,
0: I think. So cast yourself back to Brighton 2018. You obviously get called in and um, you don't you don't obviously think you've made it, but like you go into for that big step up. What did you kind of see, learn and feel from that first experience? Because I, I read something that you, you left that thinking that you weren't quite ready after seeing that environment. Am I right? Yeah, 100, like, I've seen players, like, play and they play once and they
2: don't play again, you know, so in a sense, it was sort of like a little bit of a blessing in disguise because I, I don't feel like I was ready to, like, go and dominate. Do you know what I mean? I could have probably, like, survived, but you're not out there to survive. You're out there to, like, be the best, right? So th- at that point, I don't think I could have, like, dominated whilst, like, now I feel like I'm in more of that position to do that. It's just like a, a sort of, like, tough environment that you have to be constantly on for. Like obviously I've done my little bits, but this is like the longest period. Of, other than the autumn, this is this is like the longest period I've done. So it's sort of like you have to realize how like on you have to be constantly to to improve. You have to literally like schedule your downtime, if that makes sense, to like recover so you can be on and be on well that's probably like one of the biggest things I've learned while I've been here, how how much you have to do that to make sure you can perform when it's time to perform. And performing isn't just a Saturday. Like you have to perform in the week in order to then perform on Saturday as well. So that was quite a big thing, yeah.
0: That's, that's an interesting point. And I think um, there's a lot of people that probably listen and view general rugby fans just think like you guys do a bit of training and you got a lot of downtime, but you guys are literally on from you know, seven to seven. And when you're in camp, you're on from seven to 10. You know, Maz, I know the work that you put in with um, analysis and kind of preparing line-up menus and stuff like that. You're accessible the whole time. And do you know what? I reckon, you know, Six Nations camp was a bubble before a bubble was a thing. You know what I mean? Like rugby tours, rugby camps, you know, you guys are used to living in bubbles. And I think um, what you just touched on there, Benno, is you're always accessible. There's no get in the car, drive home, switch off. Like you're always there. You're always on. Uh, Beno, going to your first cap, first cap experiences these days during COVID must be different, but still uh, an amazing achievement by any individual. But like, how did you, how did you celebrate that one? I know Maz kind of done a bit of a whip around and got some, uh, some video messages and apparently there's a, a good video of your mum going kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. when, when you got your first cap. Um, how was that for you? How was your first experience? It was pretty decent lap. So like, everyone's always like, oh, how is it with like
2: no fans and stuff? And like I won't lie to you, like building up to the game, a part of me was kind of glad because I'd have to be trying to get tickets from God knows where to get like everybody there. And you got like your my whole family, extended family and friends have obviously been waiting for a while and everyone would want to be there. So I think that was like a little blessing in the skies. But I would have just loved to see my parents as well. That would have been nice to to have seen them. I think they would have loved it probably more than I would have. It was probably like a few days afterwards, like when I spoke to my mom, um, when I spoke to my moms, and she was just like, I'm really proud of you, and that because they don't really say that. My parents, <laughs> my parents don't say I'm proud of you, like I, I don't. <laughs> so, when, when she said that to me, I was like, Oh, raw, like okay, moms, thank you, innit? So, <laughs> when I when I went back home, like people were like, My neighbors were coming out their house and say, like, Oh, congratulations, and I'm like, Rah, go on. So, I guess it, it sort of put like everything into perspective, and was like, Rah, like this is actually something. Pretty cool, Ben. So like these people that don't watch rugby are
0: coming out of the house to congratulate you about what you've done. So that was, yeah, that was cool. That's cool. I think if there's ever a time for parents to say that they're proud of um, their son playing international rugby, I think that's the, the time. Yeah, that's probably uh, a good first time to start in it. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Hi, this is George Ford, and you're listening to the official England Rugby podcast with 0 two inside line.
0: Maz, what about you? Like when I look at your career, Maz, it just seems. Like, it's, it's it's rolled in glory. Like, it's just winning, winning, winning. But, like, have you had any steep learnings that you, you can remember from when you were, like, a young guy coming into that international environment? I, I think I've had a lot of learnings
1: along the way. So, I, like, even I remember my first line-out session at the club at Saracens. Uh, back then, um, you know, Steve Borthwick was, was still playing and it was Steve, George, Moritz, Botha, etc. And I came throughout my, you know, age grade, school level thinking I was like some line out phenom who could like compete with, with I could dominate anyone. Then I went into that session and I literally, I was jumping, the lifters were throwing me, I couldn't hold my shape. I couldn't get anywhere near Steve or George or Mo. I was like, wow, I actually got some work to do. Then again, my first camp was before England 2015. And you know, I came in and I was like, even just doing like fitness and doing. We didn't really do too much rugby whilst I was there, but yeah, you know, I realised then, okay, yeah, there is a bit of a gap between me and you know my competitors. And I suppose I've 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 learned I've learned it in in different ways. Obviously, I've I've probably played a bit more than some people my age, but I've learned it. I've, I've, I think I've learned through experiences of things not going well things not going all right so I you know going back to going back to that 2018 period I think I learned loads from from that um, and this period that we're going through at the moment um, I'm, I'm I think I'm learning like loads again about about myself and how I can get better and how I can you know push it so you know, we thank God for the, for the, for the, for the positives and, and, you know, perceived
0: glory, but I think there's, all, there's still lessons within those, those periods. In 2016, you obviously got your first cap against Italy. I remember there's loads of noise around you pre that tournament. And it was almost like Eddie was doing his thing. Like Eddie will pick Mauro when he's, when Eddie wants to, he wasn't going to like follow the media narrative. But when you finally stepped onto that field and you you played a game and you finished a, a campaign in a tournament, did you feel did you feel comfortable like in that international arena? Or did you think, you know, I'm a fish out of water here? Or oh, look, there you go, fish yeah <laughs> fish, um, fish jokes.
1: Um if I want to be brutally honest, um I probably don't think I, w- I not think I was probably ready. In twenty fifteen when I was in the mix, you know, I was desperate for an opportunity. So I guess we'll, re- we'll never really know. But I don't know if I was fully ready for the heat of international rugby, but by that six nations, I think I was definitely ready. I think I was definitely ready to put my best foot forward and, you know, I was definitely ready to, um, you know, make an impact. So when, so I, I wouldn't use the word comfortable because like being in this environment, you're never really comfortable. So I wasn't comfortable, but I, I felt as if, you know, I could stand up and put my hand up and, for it to
0: be counted, yeah, everything happens for a reason. I think timings, uh, timing is key in a lot of things. And missing out on 2015 was probably a good thing for you because you you basically came into a team that was rejuvenated, and uh, we obviously went on a nice little run there, 18 games unbeaten internationally. Like that is a dream start. What what's that like as a young player? Um, don't worry, Ben. I'm coming to you about your your start as well. So <laughs> I, I, ain't one nap. I ain't want that.
2: I ain't want that, man. Don't don't compare me.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It was
1: really well it was it was amazing first and foremost I think it was amazing to be part of you know two very successful teams and you know as a young person I think you're almost fooled a little bit because you start playing you know proper senior rugby you're just not losing so you think that it's everything is easy and don't get me wrong like you know, I trained hard. I worked hard. I was, you know, I contributed to you know, two very successful teams. But you kind of think, oh, this is how it was always meant to be. This is how it's like. This is how it's supposed to happen. Like, so in terms of a start, it was it was probably like a dream start. But you know, I think probably when it it, it ended, it made me realize of actual all the hard work it actually takes to get in that position, or and, and all the hard work it takes and the mentality that you have to have as a team, as well as an individual, to to have to, to be in that position.
0: Um, it's funny because, like, for me, winning is why I played. You know, I loved winning. I'm a competitor. I loved competing in just about everything. And for me, winning was that. But, like, I reckon my best lessons or, like, the hardest learnings are always off a loss or, for me, disciplinary or injury. You know, like, that's where you learn about yourself, not as just a sports... Person, but as as a person, you know, like you got to dig deep. That's where you really work things out. Yeah, it's through through adversity.
1: Um, like when you when you go through tough periods, you you kind of figure out who you really are. Um, you know, people's true colors, natural behaviors come out when when things aren't aren't going well. So I think you learn a lot about yourself, but you also learn a lot about you know the people around you and how you can either motivate or get other people back on track.
2: Touching on that point. Sorry. I know Come it's in, questions, man. but I just thought, but do you not find it difficult, like when you're winning to not like become stagnant as well? Like I find that a little bit, like I think it's easier to chase something. Like if you're down or like you've lost, it's like you're chasing, you're chasing your win. When you're winning and you've won for a period of time, I would have thought to stay on top. a little bit more difficult.
0: yeah. Yeah. I- And do you know what? I think we experienced that. So 2016, we were flying. 2017, we were flying. Then 2018, like, where did we go from there? We had to change, but we kept doing what we'd been doing to be successful. But then every team in the Northern Hemisphere, well, and South were kind of playing us. And we had a big old bullseye, not on our backs. It was on our forehead. And everyone was watching us, you know, forensically analysing our game. And we were talked about. And all of a sudden we have a slump like we did in 2018. But my experience looking back at that, we revisited some fundamentals in our game, like the breakdown, for example. I remember playing against Scotland and we got pulled apart at the breakdown. So we went away and worked on that for the rest of 2018. And then the Mara and the team success in 2019 was off the back of that year. So I think, you know, experience is a a great teacher. You know, you've got to... And that's why, like, you've got to respect the teams that are constantly consistently at number one in in whatever sort of sport or or any sort of sector or walk of life people that remain at the top are always reinventing themselves and staying ahead of the curve hi i'm courtney england lock here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast cheers can we come on to your guys' family ties? So, for for people that are listening or, or watching, you guys are actual cousins, right? Three days apart. Three days apart. Yeah. Benno is three Who's days the senior?
2: older than me. Beno, the boss man. Yeah, has <laughs> got more money, but I'm the adult.
0: You see? <laughs> Can I ask? Is is there anything like really interesting in Nigerian culture? Like, um, you know, in the Tongan culture, uh, mako and bully. Like, whatever mako says, bully has to do. Is that the same in Nigerian culture or not?
1: So Nigerian culture is very hierarchical. Um, it's very much like the senior is the is is the boss like for example like if we were here now and there's two chairs there's our two chairs here let's say Benna was in in a chair and i was in a chair and let's say our parents walk in like we would both be expected to get up they have to like literally fight us to stay on the seat very big on like greeting like if you don't if I don't greet you in the Pacific manner or that they deem appropriate then it's seen as a big disrespect so that it's very hierarchical in terms of age and the juniors
0: just answered for the senior <laughs> you don't have to talk too much when you're a big man
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, t- tell me about like um, tell me about growing up um, with you two were you kind of just like in the back garden at barbecues kind of running it straight at each other or you know it was a rugby <laughs> ball <wonderful> present running it straight uh, B- Beno doesn't want to straight oh.
1: at me now he, 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 he didn't do it back then he still doesn't want to do it now so bro you love to talk crud on these podcasts innit uh, this is not how it goes down uh, we like to talk like this on these
2: podcasts
1: I don't to do it now bro I, I've been waiting I've been waiting for Beno you, to try you know what i will giving them evidence bro, bro show See me the man. evidence so you just know.
2: prove was, it okay, I'll, I'll take it out evidence. of court I'll throw it out okay okay okay
0: can we answer the question though like growing up <laughs> What, was, was there rugby ball, like, around? Were you guys, was rugby a thing in the family growing up? Did you guys, yeah, did you run it straight in the garden? Was it on? No. don't know if we ever really spoke about rugby when we were younger. Yeah, like, um, we, we,
1: we both come from, you know, family slash culture where rugby wasn't a thing. Like, our parents never planned for us to both be professional rugby players. You know, rugby is a very... My new shy sport in nigerian culture is is a, is a sport that a lot of people don't actually know in nigeria so there was like our families has been on holidays together we've been you know we spent we spent pretty much nearly every christmas together um our parents are, are, are you know very close with one another um our parents are actually with each other at the moment in nigeria you know we we, we spent a lot of time both together and with our families um, but it was never really about rugby. Yeah, it was never really about rugby. It was about just, you know, young boys, young men were up to. It was never really about rugby. Yeah, just
0: vibes. Okay, so if it wasn't rugby, Bino, what was it? Give me an early memory about Maro. Well, really, Maro was a little bit quieter, I would say. Like, Maro wasn't, like, like louder
2: when we were young. We used to play FIFA quite a bit. he used to play FIFA quite a bit. I don't know if I slapped him up or not. Probably did. But... Um... Yeah, we used to play FIFA. That's that's the, like my earliest memory of us playing like quite a lot of FIFA. Um when what, we were. What younger. about like
0: um in terms of sporting icons or role models then? If rugby wasn't like a thing, what what for you, Benno, was like your pin up? Who who was the man like that you aspired to be like? What sport was it? Probably football, like I I really like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbeck. I Just like the way he played and stuff, so what about what about you then, man? Has he got any what what's an early early memory of Benno? He liked he liked his food.
1: <laughs> he liked his food, but was always—this uh, is the slimmest you've ever seen, Beno. Beno <laughs> liked his food, liked to eat, and you know he—he had—he used to—he uh, liked liked his music as well. He was—he had an alternative career back in the day, um, so he liked his music. <laughs> he he liked—he liked to dance as well. He liked to dance, and he actually—he loved—he—he he did genuinely love football. For for a period of time, I think he would have definitely preferred to play football rather than rugby.
0: Okay. So what about you then, Maz, in terms of sport and people you idolized and people you aspired to be like was, was rugby on the radar? So rugby wasn't on the radar up until I moved to secondary school, to be
1: honest. Up until that point, the the type of people that I looked up to was so I, I'm 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 from North London. And I was, I was an Arsenal, Arsenal fan. So, you know, that's when Arsenal were really Arsenal. So the likes of Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, um, you know, those are the guys that I, I really loved. Besides that, probably one of my biggest sporting idols growing up was, uh, um, Muhammad Ali. You know, my dad first told me about Muhammad Ali in a car journey. And ever since that, that day, I was infatuated by the, by the man.
0: Have you ever dabbled in a bit of
1: boxing? Only a little bit of training, nothing nothing too serious. Sync loves it, eh? Yeah, there's quite a few boys here who still who's still on it. Like Stu,
0: Will Stewart is on it, Ellis Genj, a bit of sync. Faz does a bit as well. What about like both of you guys are quite interesting, eh? Like you're quite diverse. You got you got a lot going on. Cine, the rapper. Tell me, He's retired. The rappers retired, you know. Okay. No, retired. no, but you've got, you've got that, in, you've got it on the CV: producer, director, rugby player, dancer, fashionista, Maro, poet, politician, student, fishman. Like, <laughs> where does this come from? Like, you guys with all your other interests and your sort of drive outside of the game. I think there's like a element
2: of like one, one actually. I think it comes from the idea that like your parents are always like you have to have a backup plan. Um, for one, I think that's like where like the ethos sort of stems from, and secondly, I think it comes from the idea that I think my parents wanted us to be like well-rounded people, so they sort of put you in loads of different things as like a youngster. So when you do loads of different like stuff, your your mind is used to doing more than one thing. So when it comes to now to play rugby, it's sort of like ah, oh, but we usually do a lot of stuff when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? I didn't just do one thing. So the idea that now I do more stuff and you try and elevate that alongside the idea that you have to have a backup plan when, if rugby was to ever go wrong or when you do retire, it's sort of like those elements put together just like makes you do more things, I think. And then you, you actually find out that you actually like it. Like I, I I go to uni to study like sports psychology, just more so like I can do something after rugby. And then you're like, Oh, I actually enjoy it. You know what I mean?
0: So what about like you talking about a backup plan? Has, is the backup plan focusing on that or you know, balance, as you call it, has it ever taken your focus away from plan A? No. Nah, so like my parents wanted me to go to uni when I came straight out of school and I sort of refused
2: um, because I wanted to just focus on rugby and get that right. And then I was speaking to some people the other day and it sort of gets to the point in your career, like now I know what I need to do in a week to get right, or I have a strong idea. So like, I know my pockets of time in which I can use to do other things cause I know what I need to do to get right for the weekend or I know what I need to do to get right to train. So it's sort of like where I have like areas of free time cause you will
0: have them. Then I just like plug that with something else. It's good. It's, it's, it's nice to hear. It's, it's impressive. What about you, Maz? Where, where's it come from? Um, so I would
1: say a little bit, you know, similar. Um, there's definitely a family slash cultural thing with regards to that, to that, like, My parents have always been massive on education and when I was leaving school it was it was almost like a non-negotiable for me. Um, I had to, I had to study but I I enjoyed it and what I found was that it made me enjoy my rugby time more. So me you know jumping on a train um, for an hour to get into get into my uni then having a two-hour lecture then jumping on a train to go back That period actually made me like, oh, the rugby, this, the rugby part is actually fun. The rugby part is what, you know, what I want to be doing. So it made me like cherish and make the most of my time when I was in, in those, in those moments. And I think now it's more, you know, I think there's an element of it which is planning for post career. I think that's the element of it. But I've, I've got a curious mind. Um, I've got a curious mind and, I, I need to be, it needs to be, you know, fully activated. You know, I, I get, I get bored very, very quickly. And, um, you know, I think I just need the, I need to keep busy for, for my mind to be, you know, satisfied.
0: To hear you say it makes your rugby stronger or, you know, your rugby time better or, or more appreciated is good to hear. But like in terms of your curiosity, what, what's your kind of key focus at the moment? How do you, how do you manage your time? Because like, I know when you start spinning some plates, all of a sudden you take your after ball at rugby you know if you're doing a million things at once you know they're not all being done well. For, for me um, and with whatever I do whether it's
1: you know studying whether it's you know other campaigning etc the craft is the craft and the craft is always the most important thing so whatever I do never compromises my rugby I would never you know oh can I leave training early because I need to get to this or uh, okay I'm not meant to I have this on later, so let me just cut this session short that type of uh, conversation or that type of thought process doesn't go through my mind like because of rugby I'm able to do a lot more things you know rugby has given me so many opportunities and you know I think you have to respect that and respect the position that rugby has put me in so the craft is the craft and you must always focus on the craft. So the, so rugby is always, number, you know, rugby is always always number one Um and everything else kind of just fits in alongside of that because you do have enough, you do, like, I think in life, I think you make time for the things that you think are important. If you think something is really important, even if you have a full schedule, if you have a full schedule and you think something is really important, you'll make time for it. And that's the way I kind of see my, me balancing everything. Like the rugby is the rugby and that is a non-negotiable. And that is what I will always prioritise as long as I'm a professional rugby player. But the, all the other things, like there is enough downtime to to get it done if you so wish. In camp is a little bit different because of the intensity of camp life. But especially when you're in normal club club mode slash off-season slash, you know, a week off, you do have time to, you know, look at other things and be interested in and make things happen in other areas.
0: The craft. Very wise, Maz. I'm just trying to work out what my craft is. And, you're all right um, at this thing, innit? Nah, I'm going to get some tips off Mara in a second about podcasting because you're obviously hosting your, your own. Tell me about your podcast. Is that kind of like an escapism type thing or is that more of life after rugby? What what is yeah, that Yes, so
1: I'll tell you about it. Um, plug it. Plug away. The podcast Pearl Conversations by Mario Toge um, was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was born out Spotify, of... Spotify,
2: Apple Music
1: and... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was born out of the first lockdown, really. At that point, things were actually getting a bit quiet for me. Um, obviously rugby stopped completely. So training time was was a bit limited. And, you know, I still wanted to use that time to be productive in one way, shape or another. So I kind of decided that I would do a podcast and pretty much just talk to people that I find interesting and just have a conversation about, you know, their area slash field of expertise and use it of a way for of me learning about them, me learning and understanding a different perspective. And that's why I wanted it to be as you know wide and as broad as as I possibly could. It wasn't just a sports podcast. It wasn't just athletes. It was, you know, I had athletes, I had models, I had politicians, I had businessmen, I had social activists. So for me it was just about, again, I think trying to feed the curiosity and you know, learning and just trying to be as busy and as, you know, productive as possible with, with the time I had.
0: Cool. Should I um should I wait for my call for series two? Oh yeah, you, you, you got you got an expensive invoice stills, bro. We we tried to get re- we tried to reach your agent, bro. They gave us a big bill, you know. Come on, man. So Benoit, I'm gonna give you a chance now. You can plug away, mate. Amazon Prime talk to me about it. Let's go. I really liked yeah. it. Everybody's game. Honestly, it was, Did, it was, yes, it was... you like it. I loved, Do you know why I liked it? I just thought it was cool that someone's got off their backside and done something, you know? It was great to see, like, someone got off the backside uh, yourself and, and did something really good.
2: It all started, like, a few years ago. Actually, I remember speaking to Mara, I was like, bro, I want to do this, um, this documentary on, like, this sort of thing. But at the time, it was sort of like an idea. And what I've noticed with ideas is, like, what actually starts and where it actually finishes is, like, quite different you have like a idea or like a philosophy of what you want to do or the message you want to promote, but like how you're going to do it, you haven't actually filled in the blanks yet. And so I had the idea about like a good few years ago and I happened to just like bump into this production company and I mentioned, they wanted to like do some sort of like rugby work. And I was like, bro, I've got this documentary that I want to do. What are your thoughts on this? So I then I I, I talked to them about the idea. And even at this time we still didn't fully know how we were going to do it. So We must have shot myself and then we did my parents because I wanted to put people's parents in. But then it's difficult getting players' parents in plus the players and telling people, you want to do a documentary and you want to put it on like Netflix or Amazon Prime. People are like, yeah, of course. So obviously at the beginning, it's hard to convince people. The five people that are in there weren't only going to be the only five. there were other people, but they just said no to me, basically. So obviously at this time we did that. And then the first two shoots we did, we didn't even use any of that footage. But then, so lockdown came and it was like, okay, we've got a period of time here. We can really like hush this up. And then I went boom, I called Mara. I was like, Mara, can I come down and shoot um, in your back garden, basically? And then I called B on the way. B wasn't actually initially meant to be in it. I was just like, I think B might be good for this. Let's just get him in and see if he says anything good. And he was actually real good in the end. And then we shot Genji like the same week and Anthony the same week. And then the production stuff didn't happen all after that. But like the, int- the first interview from Maro's one to, to Genji's one, the last one was like so different because you learn so much each time you're doing it. Yeah, it was just like a whole big process and it was good fun.
0: A question for you both then. I'll, I'll come to you, Maro. How, how can we make sure that rugby is more accessible and that more kids from, from every background know that rugby is out there and can offer them the experiences and the opportunities that we've all had? Rugby in this country is, is not the
1: dominant sport. Um, it's quite, it's quite a way behind football. And, you know, we all want to increase the amount of rugby that's being played in schools, et cetera. The RFU want to do that. You know, I'm sure all the premiership clubs want to do that. So for that to be done, rugby actually has to do more than other sports to reach a wider audience. They have to. You know, cast their net wider and further, and reach into communities that aren't typically associated with rugby to try and get them into the sport. And how how it how it can be done, I think it's 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 gonna it's gonna have to be led from from the top, from you know the RFU Premiership the Premiership rugby clubs looking to actually get into these communities that aren't stereotypically rugby communities. Um, I think they need to have outreach program to try and capture um, a wider net and having a wider net for uh, for different communities different from different backgrounds to come into the rugby will ultimately lead to a better game overall. It'll be, you know, wider pool of players, therefore more competitive, um, you know, wider selection for people to choose from, more people playing rugby, revenues go up, uh, more interest in the game, TV money goes up. So
0: I think it's in the benefit for, for all. Beno, what what about you? Like, I, I remember I read that you basically wanted to just tell it how it is. You didn't want to say it was anyone's fault. But what is the solution then? Like, how, how do we go about that? Because like, both of you, you know, as kids, didn't look to rugby players as, as role models. You know what I mean? I grew up in New Zealand where rugby was rammed down my throat. I had no other option. You know what I mean? But you guys both, both North London? I'm South East London. But, like, how, how do we, you know, what, what is the solution for us, Bino? You know, like, what what can be done?
2: There's, like, two things. Like, it's never, like, a, a straight answer. So, like, you have to have people at the top of the game from non-traditional backgrounds and be seen as sort of role models, for one, for a better word. And at the lowest level, you have to introduce the sport as well to them. You can't have one without the other. Because if you just introduce the sport to people, people are like, okay, player, this is fun. But like the only reason why certain people play football as children is because football is the dominant sport. It's like children are impressionable. You just follow what is deemed as cool. Therefore, if you have people at the top of the game who are deemed as cool and they play rugby, it's like, oh, we could then follow and play rugby as well. And that could be our path. So I think like there's there's two elements to it. You've got to introduce it to those people and then the people at the top of the game have to be of non-traditional backgrounds will have to have come from maybe a different way of playing rugby to encourage younger people to, to get involved.
0: What about like for, for you guys, was it school that got you to rugby? Uh, Dulwich College for for you, Benno, is that when you picked up the ball? No, so I went to Dulwich
2: for sixth form. I went to um, a good a good Catholic state school in London and they played rugby and they were like, oh, so I refused to play at the beginning and the headmaster was like, you said you would contribute to school life. And then I played rugby and I did all right in it. So it was like then I just continued through
0: that path, really. You did all right in it. You're massive, mate. You're probably skipping kids for fun. I've seen the footage. I've seen the footage. Maz, you, you went to Harrow, right? Uh, again, I went to Harrow for sixth form. I went to... Uh... But you were at school. With, were you the same... You're younger than 40 and Faz, right? Yeah.
1: So when I was, yeah, so I've, I've known Faz since I was 11. Um, Faz was, mm-hmm. the, he, he was in year 10 when I was, when I was in year seven. So, you yeah, know, Faz was, there. I missed 40. I think I joined the year after 40 left. So I missed, I missed 40, but um, I was, you know, if you saw, we saw the Faz train from, from right from. Oh, was he a big name at school? Was ah he had he had bright Justin Bieber blonde hair at school. I, everyone did. It wasn't just him or all the all the white people did anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, yeah, he was at school. It, it was you know there's no there's literally no surprise. Um, Faz is you know the, the man slash person he is today because even looking back at school, it was it was very clear to see.
0: So you obviously you started playing there, so that was your route to rugby. So what, what I'm what I'm kind of thinking of, like schools are doing their part and picking up numbers. But what about like clubs? Like, did you guys have access to club rugby? You I would left? I would actually
1: argue it's is is the other way around. I would actually say clubs. Um, you know, I think clubs are probably doing better than schools than than introducing people to rugby because it's a very very certain type of school that plays rugby for the the most part. Obviously, there are exceptions, but I I would say that in, in a lot of communities where rugby isn't a thing, the schools don't play rugby or they don't take it seriously at all. Maybe it's a PE lesson rather than a sport that they play in in their schools, so i would argue that in, if if we're talking about reaching the type of communities that we want to reach then you know we need to get rugby into those schools that you know aren't traditionally in rugby areas or aren't traditionally rugby schools or all have like a, you know a large community that necessarily rugby focused school. i think you know they're they're the schools that are alien to rugby
0: hi I'm Emily Scarrett and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line before we're finished uh, you always get an opportunity to ask me anything so I'm going to put you on the spot um, Come on, man, what you got for me what I've got for you so I a two-part question the first
1: question is like now that you obviously have retired what would you say the key takeaways from your career as in like, what has been, you know, the reasons for success, reasons for failure.
0: So we'll start with that. Okay. For, first part is, again, perceived success. You no, know, I, I haven't won. I mean, you're still playing. You've won way more things than I ever won, Maz, but people always perceive you to have success. You know, you played for England, you played for 16 years, you know, you did this and you did that, but, the things that I take away were the losses, you know, like I had eight major disciplinaries and all of those things are my takeaways from the game. Cause that's where I learned about myself. That's where I learned about being kind of down and out, like your careers on the ropes, the media narrative is always against me, but I kind of forged uh, resilience and I learned how to goal set and to kind of um, work towards goals and, 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 basically get back in an England shirt and and stay there, you know. So I think for, for me, the biggest learnings i take were, were the hardest ones, you know, is when I was in trouble or, or injured. And the second part, my second question is,
1: now that you've <clears throat> transferred, as you said, from player to retired player, and you've kind of transferred from, you know, being a player to being a man in the media, how have you how have you found that transition in the sense of being on the other side of the coin? Like, what are the things that you like slash dislike? Know that you didn't know
0: before, etc.
1: Yeah,
0: it's it. I think coming from a, a culture where the team is everything and, and team first, and rugby virtues and values are kind of drilled into you. You realize when you leave, you're not part of a team anymore. You kind of feel like you're in the rugby community team but like it's like the wild west out here in the the media it's hard to continue with your rugby values with you know like you guys are my teammates and I feel whenever I've got to talk about the team people just want to hear negative stuff and maybe I'm not cut out for media because everyone that seems to be really good at it seems to It's almost like that you sell your soul. And I find that really difficult, if I'm honest. But the one thing I do miss about being in a team, so I'm just talking about what I want to talk about now, is is when you're in it, like Benno, you said this, like every day you're on, like it's a challenge. And when you're in it, you're like, this is mental. Like a little bit of anxiety about like your early morning fitness, anxiety about, you know, contact sessions. I used to get nervous around fitness testing and all these things. But the one thing I miss is being pushed every day, like challenged every day, because when you're retired, you're at home and you don't have to challenge yourself. But when you're held accountable by a DOR or uh, an Eddie Jones, you know, you're being challenged every day. And when you're challenged, like you grow as a person and you guys are like superhuman every day. You've been pushed to compete. And as soon as you retire, you're not challenged like that anymore. So You might feel now it's really hard; it's a hard time. But when you retire, you'll look back at it with fond memories because every day you're growing, you're fitter, you're stronger, you're mentally like engaged. You're in such a good environment, and you'll never. Well, my experience so far is I haven't found another environment like that. You know, so enjoy it while you're there. My sign off to you guys, Mara Toje, Beno Obano. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Maz, we didn't actually get to talk about Jay-Z, which I'm gutted about. Have you have you talked to him? Does he text you or anything? Email. Hey, you're talking about Sean? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Sean. Uh,
1: we can save that for another day. but It's the end part up. two of the podcast. <laughs>
0: um, you boys, skedaddle. Of- awesome. Cheers, Dills. Well, that's it for this week. You know the drill. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode. And if you want to bag yourself a signed England shirt, there's still time to leave a review and get your name in the running. Lottie Devon left us this one. Such a breath of fresh air. Interesting, informative, and insightful without any anger or judgment. That's awesome to hear, Lottie. Thank you very much. Big GP raised a good point though saying that they'd like to hear more of England's ladies too you might have noticed their absence from the pod this series but that's because we're doing a special series with the Red Roses next month when their six nations kicks off I'll be back in camp with the guys next Tuesday catch you then